Two things I noticed. Some of you guys think Mike's beard is even cooler up close. <laughs> and that Dan Ingram evidently goes to eight life groups. Because every eight groups, every, like every other shot was Dan. Like, he goes to that group. Benny goes to that group. And he goes to that group. So, All right, well, good morning. Good morning, live stream. Good to have you join us. I, I normally believe that this environment has something in it that no other environment has. But I also have to acknowledge that it's like eight below zero outside. And so I can make an argument for staying home today pretty easily. And I'm glad that you uh, have joined us one way or the other. Uh, today we're starting a new series called Known. Known is basically we're going to be talking about the power of our faith story. We, we argue sometimes. We debate sometimes. We convince sometimes. We teach. We learn. But how many guys know that God has given every believer something that nobody else has? And that's their story. It's their testimony. It's, it's their understanding of what God has done. And we're going to talk today about how powerful this is because I think somebody made this comment the other day, and it, and it made sense to me. Uh, and it says this. It seems like the average believer, the average Christian, believes that they're at the mercy of people with arguments, agendas, and strong opinions. I've been hearing a lot of that. Like, I just don't want to speak up because as soon as I say anything about anything, like all the jihadis jump out and all the, you know, give us Barabbases and stones start flying. And they're talking about their friends on social media. They're even talking about at the workplace. So our faith story sometimes gets smaller and smaller and smaller because we don't want to have the debate. I did something with the staff probably four months ago, and it was about the mask mandate uh, given to us by our governor, given to us, mandate given to Anyway, the order, which I want to say this properly. So I said, how many of you guys believe that wearing masks is, is a... Don't, don't respond, by the way. This is a, it's a story. I don't want to do to you what I did to them, all right? How many of you guys believe that we should be wearing masks, that it's important, that it would be uncaring not to, et cetera? And a certain number of people raise their hand. How many of you guys think, you know, that we shouldn't be wearing masks and that it's, it's kind of silly and, and there's other motivations behind it? About half... Um, another group of people raise their hand. I said, now, just forgive me, but I noticed that a third... Raise your hand saying masks are important. A third raised your hand saying they're not. And a third didn't answer. Those are the third I want to talk to. Why didn't you raise your hand? Why didn't you have an opinion amongst friends? And the answer universally was, we just don't want to argue about it. So it doesn't really matter what our opinion is anymore. What matters is, like, peace. <laughs> like, please. Like, like, let's all just do CBD oil and eat Doritos. Like anything, right? <laughs> Like, we just, we, just want, we just want brownies. We just want peace, right? But, but can I suggest to you that, that we may have overestimated the power of arguments and agendas at the expense of the power of our testimonies? And so for a month, we're going we're gonna to look at this, the power of our faith stories. I'm going to take this week, Pastor Carl's going to come bring the message next week, and kind of from a group's perspective. Pastor Jason's going to come the week after that and talk about um, the discipleship environment where people's testimonies, people's stories created legal precedents for us to want more. And then the last one, Pastor Josh, is going to come, and he's going to talk about navigating social media. He's our online pastor, creative arts pastor, and uh, I, I am fascinated. But everything in me wants to be out of town that week because no matter what's said, someone's going to scream and give us Barabbas. So anyway, let's talk about this. The power of our faith story. Let's, let's take a look at how powerful the Bible says our faith story is. Revelations chapter 12, the hymn in this first sentence is the devil. They overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. So what is he saying by that? They overcame the devil by what God had already done. What God had already done through giving his son Jesus, dying on a cross, living a perfect life, sacrificial death, triumphant resurrection, ascension of the right hand of the Father, the sending of the Holy Spirit, they overcame the devil because that's true. But look what else they have. 
and by the word of their testimony. In other words, what God did, but also part of that overcoming is talking about what God was doing. Nope, didn't get it. As equally important in the formula of success in defeating Satan in this scripture and in today's life. We need the knowledge of what God has done, but equally important, incomplete without, people need to know what God is doing. They need the power of our faith story. They need, they need to know what God has done through Jesus. They need to know about the blood of the lamb. But they also, it involved in this dynamic, this warfare, this, this double-edged sword, the word of God, what God has said, what God has done, needs to be these arms that are still moving. This is what God is doing with what God has done. So we should talk a lot about what Jesus has done for us. Somebody say amen. If you don't know when to say it, I'll just cue you, right? My pastor was gone. He was really frustrated. This is back 30 years ago in Prescott, Arizona. He said, my people are just dead. I feel like I'm preaching in a Hungarian wax museum every Sunday. And <laughs> Is that approval? Is that a lapse of consciousness? We don't know, you know? So before they started recording, how many of you guys remember back in the day, we used to have to press two buttons, and then the cassette tape started doing this? And for some reason, one went faster than the other. I mean, I'm old enough to remember that, right? And I said, guys, before they start recording the sermon, I know the first thing pastor's going to do when he gets home, he's going to want to listen to the message. And I got a Kleenex out. I said, every time I wave this hanky, I want you just to scream amen. I want you to yell hallelujah. He came back. (laughs) He said, what did you do to the people? I said, I don't know. They just, good preaching has that effect, pastor. You know, so today, don't make me get out of hanky. We should talk a lot about Jesus. Paul says this in Colossians, let the message of Christ dwell among you, how? Richly, right? As you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom. Listen, it, it should be among us. We should be talking about what Jesus has done. The message of what Christ has done should be among us. We should be discussing it. We should talk about what God saved us from, the blood of the Lamb, but we should also talk about what God saved us for, the word of our testimony. Equally important. Let me show you what I mean. Fishermen versus the Supreme Court. Here's the backstory. There's a, a, a couple of fishermen that are on their way to the temple in Jerusalem to pray to God. And on their way, Peter and John, the fishermen in the story, see a guy that's, that's crippled. He's begging by the side of the road. His job, his living, how he makes income for, for a family, I assume he's not married, but I'm, I assume he's somebody's child or somebody's uncle, and he fits into a unit of people. So his job, they carry him there, they lay him there. His job, and get this, I don't mean to be cruel, but this is what it is. He is to look as pathetic as possible to inspire as much mercy as possible. And he's sitting next to somebody else who has leprosy and somebody else who's blind and someone else who has three noses and someone else who has four eyes. And, you know, like they, they, and they're all like as pathetic as I could possibly be to try to trigger some sort of compassionate response. And Peter and John walk up to this man who's, who's a professional pity inspirer. And when he looks up and he sees them coming, he's like, they're going to give me something. And he gives them their full attention. And then, and then Peter says this, silver and gold have I none. How many of you guys know it's not going to be a good day after all? But what I do have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he grabbed this guy's hand. Now, there's no preparation for this. There's no like, I'm going to pray. You're going to feel a warm sensation. Some people think of, you know, if they feel a tingling, that may happen to you. But he just grabs, and all of a sudden, the guy who has been horizontal is suddenly vertical, and it's okay. Like, he's standing there. And as soon as he stands here, he goes... You know, and then the Bible says he starts, and I would do it, but I, I dance so ugly. It would cause uh, a riot. Not a, who said, come on, pastor? Who wants to see me look ugly? Yes, my friend, I figured. <laughs> what a sick church. I love you guys. All right. 
So he heals them, and, 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 and when God, you know, does this miracle through Peter, the guy is healed, but it causes a problem. And, and this is what happens. They're arrested. And they had Peter and John brought before them. This is the Sanhedrin now, the Supreme Court of the nation of Israel. And they began to question them. By what power? By what name do you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, if kindness is now illegal, you idiots, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, how was he healed? Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, you bunch of losers, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, look what happens. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled and ordinary, and they were astonished, astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Listen, the the Jewish people have had a 100% literacy rate for 3,000 years. A 1,000 years before this, Every Hebrew child knew how to read. And 2,000 years since this, every Hebrew child knows how to read. The, the minds, the education, if we got in the statistics of how many Nobel Prize winners with a, with a 7% world population and a, and a 70% uh, Fortune 500 rating, with a, with a 7% world population and a, what was it like a 64% Nobel Prize winning, the education of the Jewish people is legendary and millennia old. Somebody say Amen. So these men are the smartest of the smartest of the smartest of the smartest of the smartest. When they were interviewed to be a part of this court, they didn't even bring notes with them. That's how smart they were. I'm sorry. That's a recent Supreme Court. Only only Rob got it. Thanks, Rob. That's why they put you there, right? Because no matter what I say, Rob laughs, and I love that. You are the Ed McMahon to my Johnny Carson, my friend. I couldn't live without you. So, but, but here's the problem. They were smart, but they were also blind. And they were blind because the agenda they had was to try to preserve Israel within, as a nation, within a nation that was conquered, that was, and, they're, and they're, they're walking this really tight line between, we have rights, but, it, but, that, but the Romans can take them away anytime we're out of line. So this whole thing about Jesus being Lord is really upsetting to the Romans who think that Caesar is Lord. So we, we're walking this finally. Like our agenda does not allow for this man to have been healed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he can be healed because of medicine. He can be healed because of science. He can be healed because of Mars, Venus, Apollos. He can be healed because any Greek God can heal him. But when you say Jesus is Lord, the Romans are going to lose their, their cotton-picking minds. And so he wasn't healed. Like they, You can't be. It, it porks against our agenda, right? But look at this. Look at the response. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help I love that line. We can't help it. <laughs> we can't help it. We can't help it speaking about what we've seen and we've heard. Here's point number one. Follow me. A person with a testimony is never at the mercy of a person with an agenda. And, and you need to know that. I need you to know that. That regardless of whatever the agenda is, and we may live in a day with the greatest number and the greatest force behind agendas that the world has ever seen. We're so connected that every agenda is the primary agenda. Somehow we've... We've lifted up the victimhood as, as a virtue 
And now whoever's the biggest victim now has the most whatever. You know what I'm saying? There are so many agendas. We're going to save the animals, and we're going to eat the animals. And we need to protect people from guns, but we have rights for guns. And I could go on and on and on, but every time I do, the room would divide a little bit farther. Let's just talk about masks again, can we? It just seems benign compared to the other things we could talk about, right? But hear me. Regardless of the agenda, understand, these are the world's agendas. This is Jesus Christ. So higher than the agendas of man is the agenda of God. And so when they said, this is our testimony, as soon as they said, but we know, the guy's standing next to me. He's standing next to me. And God does that, not men. So you can argue about your agendas all day long, but I know this one thing to be true. It was an act of kindness shown by God that he's walking. It was an act of kindness shown to me that I'm still walking. Anybody surprised they're still alive? Right? I mean, seriously. Like, if it wasn't for Jesus... By now, we'd have been in prison or we'd been dead. How many would say amen? I mean, or not say amen, but, you know. Amen. <laughs> oh, oh. My mother's prayers were answered, you know. Jesus came in my life, and I'm alive. And I'm a grandfather, for goodness sake. How crazy is that? Next example. You guys get that one? You get that? A person with a testimony is never going to be at the, the, the mercy of a person with an agenda. Second thing is this. It's a man born blind. Uh, the backstory. They're walking into this town. There's a man that's born blind again. He's a pathetic contest. He's trying to invoke sympathy, empathy, anything to get someone to say, okay, here, you know, uh, we'll work for food. Somebody gives him money. Have, have a baby needs diapers. Might invoke a different, a different mood, a different impression, right? A different hungry, need help, you know, with, with a child in a bassinet freezing in the snow. How many you guys know these all increase? So he's trying to be as, as pathetic as possible, and he's begging, please, please, please. And the disciples ask a really unsympathetic question. Disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Like, we're looking to blame somebody for his blindness. Is it him? Is it his parents that he was born this way? Like, he's being punished for something. Who, who did the thing that's being punished? And I love what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. Now, Jesus then does something that probably most, most blind people would not want to hear. So Jesus walks up. He's blind. He can tell what's going on. But, but he, he can't see what's going on. All of a sudden, he hears this. <clears throat> How many of you know your day's not about to get better? He's kind of like, and, and then it didn't hit me. Must have hit the guy next to me. What's going on? All of a sudden, he, he feels somebody coming closer, and mud is wiped down his eyes. Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, and wiped it on his eyes. And I imagine it's still not much of a blessing. So that was, thank you. How, do I, how can I say Thanks for that, the loogie anointing. What do I do? And Jesus says, now go wash, which is probably the first thing he wanted to do anyway. And somehow he gets to this pool called Siloam. He washes. And when he does this, he can see for the first time in his life. Imagine if everybody in this room can hear the thoughts of everybody in this room and you're the only person that can't. Imagine everybody in this room can see through walls and you're the only person who's blind to that. Imagine every person in this room doesn't have to walk anywhere. They can fly wherever they want to go, but you can't. He has been handicapped by a lack of a sense that is the core of all of our senses, and he hasn't had it. And he does this, and all of a sudden, he can see, right? But, but here's the problem. <laughs> How many of you guys have a great miracle? But sometimes revivals cause riots, and here comes the riot. Here's the problem. The day that happened was the Sabbath. There's been an ongoing feud between Jesus uh, and the, and the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the most legalistic you know, to the letter of the law. The problem is they decided what letters to obey and which ones to ignore. And they make sure the whole community is just as religiously hypocritical as they are. And so Jesus, the Savior, comes. Well, they, the Savior's bringing mercy. They don't want mercy. They lose all of their power if mercy is truer than judgment. 
They lose all of their stay, all of their ability, all of their authority if people aren't afraid of them kicking them out because they didn't obey their rules, right? Huge argument here that's going on. So Jesus has this huge argument that's been ongoing. And so they call the man in for questioning. It says this. They called him in, then they called his parents in, then they call him in a second time. Here's the second time. They summon the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, man. Tell, tell the truth. In other words, you're lying to us. They said, we know this man is a sinner. How do they know he's a sinner? Because he healed on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to make mud. You're not allowed to walk. You're not allowed to wash. Everything he told you to do contradicts what we've told you to do. Therefore, our argument being superior to your experience, we now call you to account. Don't, don't do this. This man's a sinner. He replied, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Like, I'm not here to make Jesus something I don't know him to be. But I love the next line. One thing I do know. I love this. I woke up this morning blind, and now I could punch you right in the end of your nose and see everything that happens. I, I can now see. Then they, then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> oh, oh no. Sweetie, no, they don't want to become his disciples. <laughs> Are you still blind? Like, you're here because they hate you, and they hate what's happened to you, and you, you are contradicting their key positions of authority with an argument that cannot be contradicted, and they hate that. Do you want me to come there? Now, how many of you guys know in the rules of debate, you can tell when you've won, when the argument on the opposing side no longer has weight, but only has the weight of influence through insult? If you're old enough to remember Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase and Jane Curtin, point, counterpoint. Remember the skit? Don't, don't, don't say it. Don't say it. We have young people here that don't need to know this, that are looking it up on YouTube right now as I speak. People at home are ending the sermon going, you, Jane, you ignorant what? You know what I mean? Uh, but, but this point we made by Jane Curtin that was brilliant, Chevy Chase, if he couldn't beat her point, would say, Jane, you uh, something. I forget what it was. But he, in other words, it resulted in insult. Now, look what happened. So do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. Why? Because they didn't have any facts to hurl at him. Their, their point was moot. They'd been defeated. And, and, but they can't be defeated because if we're defeated, we lose everything. There's a certain truth that we hold to be true, and, and if anything is more true than this, we lose everything, so nothing's allowed to be more true than this. They hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And it's about to get worse. How many of you guys know that sometimes you just get a little giddy-up? Here comes his giddy-up. The man answered, now that's remarkable. <laughs> Your argument is ignorance. <laughs> You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not listen to sinners. How do we know that? Because you taught me. You taught me that God doesn't listen to sinners. I'm doing what you taught me, right? That God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. First instance in human history where this ever took place. Not the last, but the first. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, really the Hebrew version of your mama. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. But hear me, they threw him out, but they didn't refute his argument. Why? Because they couldn't. It's not what they thought God was. It's what God had done in his life. So again, a person with a testimony is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Not just at the mercy of a person with an agenda, 
But a person with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a person with an argument. I once was blind, but now I see. No, you're not. Let me pin the tail on your face. Of course, you know, well, you're steeped in sin. Your mama, they hurl insults at But it doesn't change that when they hurl insults at him, he doesn't lose his eyesight. So the argument is, God has done an amazing work in my life. And you can have any other argument you want, but I used to be into drugs, and now I'm into Jesus. I used to be, but now I'm, I have a past that I'm, I'm not proud of, except for the fact that it points out the gloriousness of the transformation of my life as I move into eternity with Jesus. People may not get what you get, but it doesn't mean that what you got isn't more powerful than their argument, right? Last example. You guys doing okay? I got 10 minutes. I'm going to be done in an hour. This is the guy I call Naked Cat Eating Guy. Now, if you're, if you're a Bible purist, you won't appreciate the humor of me calling him Naked Cat Eating Guy. The Bible calls him the demoniac of the Gadarenes or the demoniac of the Gerasenes. The Gadarenes and the Gerasenes are the, the same place, evidently. But I, I, I would just, I think it's funnier to call him Naked Cat Eating Guy. The, the Bible describes him as a man who wore no clothes, who the, the, you know, the villagers and the Decapolis, the 10 cities around the gatherings, the port there, the place you could anchor your boat, the little bay, the little harbor. Um, there's 10 cities called the Decapolis. They had, they had multiple occasions tried to like chain him and restrain him because he's scary. The dude, the dude is so filled with demons that when Jesus says, what's your name? One person doesn't answer. A legion of demons answers and say, our name is Legion for we are many. How many of you guys thought you were having a bad morning? This guy is possessed by an army, by a Roman legion, which I believe is two to 3,000 soldiers constituted a legion in, in Rome. So when he says, our name is Legion, it isn't like he's got a couple you know, things in his personality. He's got a couple addictions. This guy has not had a sane thought of his own for as far back as he can remember. Every voice in his head hasn't been his. He's a slave. He is the shell possessed by the powers of darkness times 3,000, right? Jesus shows up, and, and he casts the demons out of this guy. They go into a herd of pigs, the biblical example of deviled ham, as we like to call it. They, they run off the cliff into the bay. They drown, and the people who own those pigs are fairly perturbed that all of that meat is now floating in the river. I mean, the fishermen probably aren't happy about the smell. Um, and, and honestly, I think it just freaked them out. I think life is normal, and you do this, and the sun rises, and the sun sets, and it's Monday through Friday, and black coffee, and campfires, and, you know, the family vacation. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and demons come out of the naked cat-eating guy who would scream at night as he cut himself. So imagine that one, right? I mean, guys, it's hard enough to put kids to sleep without some guy going, ah! And you say, listen, he didn't listen to his father. That's what happened to him. I'm not going to sleep. He didn't eat his broccoli, son. That's what happens. You don't eat your broccoli. When there's a lack of fiber, noises like that tend to come out of... Now, that sounds like a constipation joke, but you know what I'm saying, right? So the people are freaked out, and, and this is what happens. Then the people began to plead, please, please, Jesus, go away. Like, don't just leave here. Leave the region. Never come back to the Decapolis Again, as Jesus was getting into the boat, naked cat-eating guy. Now remember, he's, he's just wearing clothes for the first time. He's still covered in scabs from the cutting he did the night before. No one likes this guy. His family's forgotten about him. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed. And he wants to get in the boat with Jesus. And then this is what he says. He, he begged, like, please, let me go with you. But Jesus didn't let him. Instead, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Here's the power of your faith story. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Now, 
That's Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 6, the story continues. And, and it doesn't continue as one story. You have to kind of read between the lines, but you'll see it clearly. It seems about, about less than a week or as much as maybe two weeks or three weeks pass between Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6. Now, remember, these are the people. The pigs are all dead. The naked Cadian guy's not naked anymore, but he's still got a piece of fluffy stuck between his teeth and the canine right there. You know what I mean? And, and he's freaking out. And, and please go away. And he tries to let me come with you. No, go back and tell people. He turns around to a city that's kind of like this towards him. And a few days to a couple weeks later, Jesus comes back to the exact same spot. Look what happens. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, the Gadarenes, Gerasenes, Gennesaret, same place. And they anchored there. Look what happened. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus, the one they said, go away and never come back. And they ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him not to leave. They begged him to allow them to touch him, just the edge of his cloak, and all who touched were saved. Now, please hear me. The only thing, the only witness that Scripture gives us that was in the Decapolis during that time was naked cat eating guy who went by himself, and literally all he had, he had no knowledge. I assume he couldn't read. I assume he couldn't write. I assume he had no financial support. I assume he had no place to sleep. I assume he had one pair of clothes, and it was scratchy because he'd never worn clothes in like years and years and years. He's covered in scabs. He looks like death warmed over, right? He looks like Keith Richards from The Who. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's just like the man died years ago, and nobody's had the courtesy to tell him. You know what I'm saying? Johnny Depp's dad, for those of you that are into Pirates of the Caribbean, right? I'm sorry. If you're watching Keith, I love you, brother. Let's, let's, let's do coffee this week. And all he has is a story. That's all he has. He doesn't have the hermeneutics of Luke and historiography. He doesn't have the scrolls of Isaiah. All he is armed with as he goes back to a city that's terrified of him, and somehow the hearts turn so that they run after Jesus instead of Jesus to saying, go away. All he has is his story. What I'm trying to say is this. A person who knows nothing but Jesus knows enough to change what people think they know about God. Piano guy, come join me if you would, please. Listen to me. Let's put it all together. You guys still here? There's power in your story. So I I wasn't a naked demoniac. I was a church kid. There's power in your story. But my marriage has been fine. There's power in that story. I can't share my story. It involves some of the most embarrassing, shameful, addicted, failure moments of my life. No, no, no. There's power in your story. Whatever you've been through that Jesus has gotten you to the other side of, there's power in that story. Oh, I don't want to share. I don't want people to look at me that way. They're not, they're not looking at you when you share your story about Jesus. They should be looking at Jesus. If they're looking at us, we told the story wrong. I used to be, but now I'm. That's an incomplete story. I used to be, but then Jesus, and now I'm is the story we're talking about. I, I think about the power of the faith story. Remember, a person who knows nothing but Jesus knows enough to change what people think they know about God. A person with a testimony is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And a person with a testimony will never be at the mercy of a person with an agenda. Never. Never, never, never. One of my favorite conversion stories, I'll end with this today, is Pastor Pat Brady. How many of you guys know and love Pastor Pat? They left to plant a church in Linden, kind of a sister church of ours, Church on the Streets, what's called. How many years ago now, Sister Babe? Where are you? Ten years ago, maybe? Long time. I, was, I had hair, I remember, and glasses. So it was <laughs> that long ago. And... Uh, I, the first time he walked in this room, I think it was Dedication Sunday, the day that we dedicated this building, the, the kind of a, wasn't even the new addition, right? So this is a long, long time ago. Wow. Okay. Pat might have even had hair. It was that long ago. 
But his, his son came to church and got saved, and then his other son came to church and got saved, and then his mom went to go find out what kind of cult her sons had joined because they weren't fighting anymore, and that can't be God. Like, something's going on. No more bloody fist fights in the backyard. I don't know if that ever happened, but they, something was wrong. She came. First day she's here, she sits in the back row and weeps uncontrollably and can't understand why. This is in the youth ministry, by the way. That's not in this room. That's, that was, she came to youth with, our, with her kids to see what was going on. And she gives her life to Jesus. Now, Pat is a slower process. He has questions. He has concerns. He has no church background. He'd been in two Catholic churches, uh, one for a wedding and one for a funeral in his entire life. No experience with God, no relationship with Jesus. But he walked and he sat right about in this area right here, Desi, where you and your family are at. And, and, and that was, he got to be a part of it. Now, he came in a little bit late to surprise his wife and his kids, but worship was going on. And this is his story. When he walked in, he saw a man named Nick. If you guys remember Nick Sakachi, um, again, this goes back a long, long way as well. But Nick was probably my age at that time. So Nick is probably, you know, dead. But no, I'm kidding. Nick's still alive. He's going to find. But, but Nick, Nick worshiped like a child. He was an engineer, really intelligent person, a leader. But, but when Nick would worship, I remember this move. <laughs> this look on his face like, I just, and this was like during the announcements. This had nothing. I mean, he just, he would just. And, you know, Pat walking in, vice president of HP sales division and all that. And he walks in this tie, just, you know, and he sees a man who would be his contemporary loving God like a child. And I remember years ago or years later, rather, he told me that was the first step in his conversion to Christ. And I said, why? What was it about Nick's worship? He said, he said, I walked in saying, I don't believe anything these people believe, but I believe that guy does. I believe that guy believes what this place believes. And it was funny. His faith began by observing someone else's faith. Isn't that crazy? We're going to hear about this story about Rachel Weiss, someone who just was baptized a couple of Thursday nights ago, raised in the church. I'll let her tell her own story. But, but she Google searched churches in Fenton. And unlike my phone that sends you to some United Brethren church in Flint. <laughs> Should we do it again? Let's No? Don't do it again. Who groaned? No. Let's, can I, I'm going to do, do it. And if it's pride, then I'm about to hear about the United Brethren Church. Hey, Siri. Oh, you don't, do, you don't say that anymore, do you? You press a button. What's the best church in Fenton, Michigan? It didn't say it, but it says Freedom Center. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Anyway, she goes to search for churches in, in Fenton. The Freedom Center came up, which is a miracle, evidently. It was the most reviewed church, and she went, well, I'll just see what it is. She clicked on it, and, and the testimony of being most reviewed had something bearing on her. And then she went a little bit step farther, and she watched what you guys had written about your church. It's a friendly place. I've never understood the Bible like that before. Worship's off the hook. All the things that you talked about, just, talk, just a testimony about what God was doing, that was enough to get her to watch online. The very first time she watched online, she pressed the button and raised her hand emoji to give her life to Jesus. She was baptized a week ago Thursday. She's now involved in our creative arts ministry. And I just, you know what happened? It was this, the testimony of a Google review. We underestimate the power of our faith story. A Google review like, I don't know, the bacon was a little undercooked. But, but enough five-star ratings or uh, the lack of one-star ratings, whatever it was, she saw it. She read what you said about what God was doing here. She watched what you were doing as God was working in your life. And then she clicked a button to give her life to Jesus, showed up, and has barely missed a Sunday since. Why? Be- because there's power in our faith stories. 
There's power in worshiping like a child to a man that knows nothing of God. There's power in the Google review for someone who's looking for a place to connect with Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? There's power in your faith story. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about your faith story. I want you to think about where it belongs. I want you to protect it so it doesn't become secondary to any other thing that comes out of your face or comes out of your hands. Never negate the power of your faith story because of the power of your political agenda. Never, never underestimate that what we're doing is we're taking something that God gave us to overcome the devil, the blood of the lamb, what God has done, the word of our testimony, what God is doing. Like, I think the world needs people to talk about what God is doing, not what Republicans and Democrats and senators and governors, and, and that all has a place, and we should all talk about it at some point, but if all we're known about is debating and arguing, and nobody even knows we're a believer, or dear God, some of you should even talk about being believers. I'd rather you just said, and this is also the views of the Mormon church on which I attend. It'd be helpful to me. I'm sorry. There's a Mormon joke. It's funny in Arizona. Here you're like, what? <laughs> Hear me. You will never be at the mercy of a person with an argument. You will never be at the mercy of a person with an agenda. You know enough if Jesus is in your life to convince somebody that what they know about God isn't really true. So let's start talking. Let's start tweeting. Let's start liking. Let's start sharing. Let's start being salt and light in every single avenue, every way we can imagine, because people are looking for hope, and hope lives inside of you. Hope has a name. It's Jesus. So, Father, I pray that today, as our time is now expired, I I pray, God, that you would use the simple story of a child, the simple story of a youth, the simple story, God, of of a man who lost everything, the simple story of a woman whose greatest fears were were realized, the greatest stories, God, that came from redemption. When people saw the man that was healed, the arguments, the agendas, they, they, they just don't hold any weight. Thousands were saved because of a man that was crippled being healed. One faith story created 3,000 faith stories in a day. The day of Pentecost, one faith story, Peter's faith story, change the faith story of 3,000 people in one day. God, that's the power that we have. Let us never be afraid. Let us never be intimidated. And let us never be bullied into silence. We are the light of the world. We are not to put that light underneath anything, but, but something like, you know, that gives it oil to burn brighter. God, there's no way. We'll put it on the stand. We'll let people see what you've done for us. And if they judge us, then maybe we didn't do it right. But but let them them see what you've done in our marriages. Let them see the grace upon our children. Let them see. Let them hear about your provision and your protection. Let them know of your salvation because we spoke up about how good you are, God, in the day-to-day. When a world just wants to tear itself apart, may a message of grace and hope and peace and power permeate the minds, the imaginations, the hearts, God, of people all over the world. Our faith stories in the Philippines right now. Our faith stories in Rome right now. Our faith story. These stories, these testimonies have gone out on the internet all over the world, God. We pray that not a single act that you've done, not a single word spoken about who you are come back void. And may it accomplish everything that you sent those words out to accomplish, God. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen, you're here. You're like, I don't have a faith story. I don't know Jesus. 2,000 years ago, God looked into eternity and saw that you weren't there saw that I wasn't there saw that there was never going to be somebody good enough to go to heaven good people don't go to heaven I don't know if you knew that or not I didn't know that good people don't go to heaven bad people don't go to hell forgiven people go to heaven people who have had their sins erased 
by a singular, beautiful, powerful act of mercy. People who trusted the salvation of their God greater than their own self-righteousness, those are the ones that go to heaven. No one's going to walk the streets of gold deserving to be there. We'll all walk the streets of gold grateful that he gave us what we could never give ourselves. A clean slate, a fresh start. If you're here, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. A simple act of faith would be something like you raising your hand. Why would raising your hand cause a chain reaction of salvation? It's, it's fairly simple because your, your hand is attached to your heart. And the day of you to say, I'm reaching out my hand to say yes to the proposal of, a, of just a really gracious offer of mercy from God. I want to be born again. I want a clean slate. I want a new beginning. If you're online right now, get ready with that hand emoji. Just, just like Rachel did in May. You just click on it one time. Just, I, just let the world know I gave my life to Jesus today. I'm asking for his mercy today in my life. If you're in this room right now, it's simple. You don't have a button you can click, but you can raise your hand in the presence of God. It's a private moment. It's, it's the first step in a very long journey that's glorious and terrible and frightening and wonderful. It's alive. It's not some sort of pattern. It's, it really happens as it happens. But God's going to walk with you through this, and it begins right here, right now, when you raise your hand. Are you ready? All over this room, Jim, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Today I'm saying yes to his proposal of a covenant relationship that begins now and never ends. Never ends. New life. I need it. I want it. I accept it. That's you. I want you to lift your hand all over this room right now. That's me. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Best part of my day. Always the best part of my day. Thank you, God. Father, I pray. I pray for every heart online. Everybody's going to hear this on the radio a year from now. Everybody that's going to watch this online in the week to come. Everybody that said, yeah, that's me. I, that's me. God, attached to our hearts is our hands. And we raise them and say, I need you. I need you. If you're in your family room right now, you're in your car, I need you. You're at the office right now. You're on the treadmill right now at the gym. I need you, God. I need you. I need you. People do weird things on treadmills all the time. Just do it. I need you. I need you. Come into my life. Set me free. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me your word. I don't want to be on a road. I want to be on a train track. <laughs> I don't want to even have the ability to turn left or right. I just want to go straight into your kingdom, straight into your will. And God, everything you do in my life, I'll be faithful to let others know. I will not be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the power of salvation for those who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Our righteousness has appeared from God that's by faith from first to last. It's appeared in my life. Let me make it appear through me. May the word once again take on flesh, this time my flesh, and may the world see the glory of God through my life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 You got a faith story. You ready to share it? Good. Before you go, get out your phone. No, I'm kidding you. But you should at some time share what God has done in your life. Yes? People need to know. But what if I screw up afterwards? It's just more grace. What if I'm not perfect? It's just more grace. What has God done for you? How many of you know Lazarus was raised from the dead? He had a good story. He died again. There's no shame in that. Stand to your feet. They're like, hey, you already had three sermons. Do you really want to preach a fourth one? All right, I'm going to let you go. Live stream, we'll see you later. God bless you. Those who are in this room, uh, you're going to be dismissed row by row, at least until we think it's safe to release you like a herd of cats out onto the Serengeti, you know? So we have people in place. Some have vests on, some don't, but they're going to make it very clear when it's your turn to go. So please stay there until you are released. In the meantime, God bless you. Live long, prosper. Can't get the hand to do it. There it is. And uh, we'll see you soon.